Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Zaren. What up, Elizabeth? Oh, nothing. Um, I wanted to tell you something, but I was nice wondering... Nice feather bow, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you noticed. Yeah. No, I, I could, made it myself. I, oh. I plucked them myself. It's really... I can tell the mm-hmm. blood stains. Yeah. That's, you know, avian flu. You hey, got to do something. First time, you can't always win it. Uh, do you want to know what's ridiculous? Oh, yeah. Girl, I've been waiting to tell you this. Oh, okay. George Washington's death. <laughs> that's cold. No, no. I'm, I know that sounds disrespectful for the nation's first president. I'm not saying that. I'm not making fun of his death, but rather... I'm kind of making fun of the state of medicine at the time because George Washington went out and did this thing that like my mother and millions of other mothers have told you, which is don't wear wet clothes or you'll catch your death, right? When you come in with wet clothes. Well, that's essentially what happened to Washington. The story goes, he's out, he's like riding around on horseback on Mount Vernon. It's raining cats, dogs, and everything else. He rides back to his house for dinner, but he's a hardhead like me. He refuses to change out of his wet clothes. Like, I want to eat my steak wet, right? So he's sitting there, he's doing it. He gets sick. He gets a sore throat. His doctor's like, well, clearly we need to drain him of nearly half of his blood. And so they do. They drain him of 40% of dude's blood. Now, drained out zombie Washington starts circling the drain, right? He's about to die. Physicians aren't done. They're like, oh, no, this is, we need him to gargle butter, molasses, and uh, butter. looking around vinegar. He's and a real butter gargling. Yeah, so he's he's. Garland butter, vinegar, and molasses. And when that doesn't work, surprise, surprise, doctors are like, ah, you know what it is. We need to feed him beetles. So they feed him beetles. And then, surprisingly, eating beetles does not save the nation's first president. Three days after he gets sick, George Washington up and dies. So my point is, listen to your mother. Don't sit around in wet clothes. That's a good, okay. Ain't that ridiculous? And don't eat beetles. That is ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to know what else is ridiculous? Oh, I'm here for it. Dedicating your incredible talent to forging only to be forged. Yes. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, cons, 
It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. You heard that. Zavin. Yes, Elizabeth. You know I love a good art crime. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Because uh, for the most part, they're not violent or destructive. Yeah. No you know. one gets hurt, per se. And since I'm convinced that much of the art world is a cover for money laundering, <laughs> I usually don't feel so bad. Yes, I know right? you don't. I do feel bad if, like, a beloved or famous piece of art that normally lives in a publicly available space is stolen. Yes, and, like, or even defaced. Away. I, get, I get upset Yeah, but if it's, like, taken away to a Russian oligarch's mansion. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I don't like for the public to be robbed of access to beautiful, important, or historical items. We've talked about yes, that. Yes, let us keep our Caravaggios, our exactly. Mona Lisas. <laughs> but a private collector getting scammed? No. Count me in. Yeah. <laughs> Rare. <laughs> um, one of the great types of or, of art crimes is forgeries. Yeah, great one. And did you know that it's estimated that between 25% and 40% of paintings in museums around the world are fakes? Yeah, I actually did that because I interviewed an FBI art guy. That's right. Yeah, and that's he was right. saying that. And I was, that blew my mind when I yeah. first heard it. So pretend I, I just heard that. Holy wow. wow. <laughs> so what fascinates me about forgeries is that the perpetrators, they have artistic talent. Oh, yeah, completely. You know. No, but they like, could be artists in their own right. Sometimes their own work just doesn't resonate with the world, or maybe they don't have, like, the right contacts to get recognition. Sure, or they're still alive. Other times they can basically only work from assignment. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. they can only copy. They're they craftsmen, can't. in yeah. a sense, more so artisans. Yeah, so they're not true artists. Um, they take direction. Let me tell you about a true artist. All right. He had incredible talent on his own, but he was also an incredible mimic. Okay. And after World War II, this artist went to Paris. Mm -hmm. One day in 1946, Lady Malcolm Campbell was visiting his house and saw an ink drawing on the wall. Mm -hmm. She said she was certain it was a Picasso and she wanted to buy it. (laughs) And he didn't tell her that it was his own work. Uh, He charged her less than the equivalent of like 100 bucks for it. Okay. Not a bad payday on a drawing for an unknown artist. Mm -hmm. It pays to have rich friends is basically the... Totally. Is he pretending like he also didn't know if it was a Picasso? Do we know that? He he doesn't say one way or the other. Oh, yes. You know, just like like kind of... He passes it off as the real thing. Mm -hmm. But then he realizes that his copycat skills are his real talent. Uh So he's broke. He's struggling. And he's able to make some cash and make someone happy. So it's a win-win. Here she thinks, like, I scored. I have this beautiful Picasso drawing. Who was this man, Zarin? Um, This man was Wilfred Brimley. Yes. His name was (laughs) Elmir Dahori. Elmir Dahori. Elmir Dahori. I referred to him as Elmir of the clock. I referred to him as Elmer Dahori before when Uh I told you about Clifford Irving. Oh, right. That's why it sounded familiar. I'm like, but I I realized that that that's not how you say his name. Elmir Dahori. Elmir Dahori. So he was the artist that Clifford Irving wrote Mm -hmm. the book about. Uh, He wrote a book called Fake. Exclamation point. <laughs> the story of Elmira Dahori, the greatest art forger of our time. Okay. Um, I told you About before, his book, Hoax. <laughs> <laughs> hoax. Fake. I told you that Dahori was a piece of work and deserved his own episode. Yes, yes you did. Here it is. Nice. So I should add that the best information on this guy comes from Clifford Irving's book. Is it reliable, though? Well, two con men making, yeah. making one great story it calls into question yes. the materials presented as fact, but let's just say it is and enjoy the ride. Okay, I'm into okay. that. Buckle up, Buttercup. So, Elmir Dahori was actually born Elmer Albert Hoffman. <laughs> of course he was. In Budapest, Hungary <laughs> in 1906. Okay. So, he liked to tell people that he was from this family of aristocrats, like bankers, financiers, top government officials. Mm, my mother, the countess. He was actually from a very lovely, very middle-class Jewish family. Okay. And um, they believed in his talent. 
So they sent him off for formal training at the Nagibanya Artist Colony. I'm probably not saying that right. In Romania. Hmm. When he was only 16 years old. Yeah, based on how you said it, I thought it was in Japan. So sure. probably not right. I'm I don't totally know. saying knows? it wrong. I'm sure of it. That's, my, ta- that's my hidden talent. <laughs> um, so then he goes on to study at the Academy Heinemann in Munich um, and then at Academie Le Grand Chamier in Paris. Um, so he gets trained as a classical painter in okay. these places. There's a problem with that, though. No one's paying for classical art anymore. No. All these new experimental avant-garde movements, Cubism, Expressionism, are all the rage. Cubism is kicking it at that point. Most of what he learned is outdated. It's useless. And the art community is just like, why? We don't even care about the Fovis anymore. Right. So the economy is also tanking at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, And it's starting to look like being an artist just isn't a way for him to make a living. But Mm. he's dedicated most of his life to it so far. Enter crime. Nice. So, always an option. Always. Dahori committed a bunch of minor crimes in Geneva in the late 20s and then into the 1930s. Just little petty stuff here and there. Okay. And then at the beginning of World War II, he went back to Hungary. Dicey, right? Yeah. So, so he picked the other side. Yeah. Well, he had a friendship there with this British journalist that was believed to, like, be a spy. And so that He's raised in, red flags. Yeah. And he gets sent to a prison for political dissidents in Transylvania. Oh. And I have my suspicions about why they really sent him there, but more on that later. Okay. So while he's there, he paints a portrait of the prison camp officer, and they they spark this friendship. Huh. He's just blown away by his talent. So they eventually release Dahori, but then he gets imprisoned in a concentration camp for being gay and Jewish. Ooh. And I think that's how he wound up in the Transylvanian prison in the first place. So wait, this is after World War One. He's this in the Transylvania. Prison he's in camp? at the during World War Two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So he gets sent to a concentration camp. He's tortured. They break his leg, oh, God. and then they transfer him because of this like terribly broken leg. They transfer him to a Berlin prison hospital. Uh, he escaped because he noticed that the gate entrance to the hospital was open. <laughs> so he like he's in pain. He grabs some crutches and just makes a break for it. Get on you, right? Bro. He goes out and he fi- goes to the home of some of his friends. They take him in. And then he makes his way back to Hungary mm-hmm. and he learns that his family home is gone and his parents have been killed. It's horrible. So at the end of, the, of World War II, there's Dahori selling fake Picasso sketches because who cares? And he's in Budapest, That's right? what I say. But when you survive what he survived, I say do whatever you want. Yeah. He goes to Paris and then he's selling like these sure. fakes. Good. Great. Yeah. You get to do whatever you want. If you can con some rich person out of a few francs. More power to you. I don't care. So the thing about Dahori's fake artwork, though, is that um, he didn't try to reproduce existing works. He created new pieces in the style of famous artists. How so? So he created works that did not exist but looked like but they But looked could like be. they, exactly. Okay. So he knew he was a great mimic. He started selling what he were calling Picasso pieces to art galleries all over Paris he said that he was a displaced Hungarian aristocrat, and he's just trying to survive by selling what was left of his family's estate. This is what my family has left. Exactly. I am, you know, just trying to get by. Or he'd say that he got the Picasso gave them to me. <laughs> he was my friend before the war. I just want to. I want to sell them. Guillaume I'm liquidating. Pablo, we all hung out. <laughs> it was else. a lot of fun. Uh, he sold a bunch of them uh, f- of fakes in Sweden, and right. that gave him enough cash to get a one-way ticket to Rio de Janeiro in 1947. Yes, cash out, my yeah. brother. He will survive, and I love him for that. Like he's just <laughs> he's you cannot hold him down. So he still tried to make it as an artist with his own work. Um, But in the meantime, the fakes were, like, paying the bill for him. Mm -hmm. So 1947, he visits the U.S. on a three-month visa. Okay. 
He's able to get a show there at the Lillenfeld Galleries in New York Hmm. in 1948, and that was all his own work. Per Art News, this is what they said, Dehori's pieces struck, quote, the well-known chord of the School of Paris, which is a way of saying yawn. Wow, yeah, it is. Not into it. That's he only a mean he yawn. sold one piece yeah. at the show. Um, They're like these would be good in a motel, right? So, despite how cruel the New York art world had been to him, he mm. decides to make a go of it there. Hmm. Um, he overstayed his visa, and he lived in the U.S. for the next twelve years. <laughs> so, just by a smidge, <laughs> just he missed it by a mark. Um, he moved from New York to L.A. to Chicago to Miami, selling all his forgeries. Yeah, all good art markets in America. Right. He sells to galleries, museums, even major A-list celebrities. <laughs> and by that, I mean Zsa, Zsa Gabor. Yeah, girl. <laughs> Get so you some art. He's moved beyond just P- Picasso sketches into serious works. He created fake originals from Medigliani, Matisse, and Renoir. Huh. Uh, the Medigliani's are fantastic, by the way. Really? Yeah, they're incredible. They're beautiful. He created so many Medigliani pieces that Kenneth Wayne, the director of the Medigliani Project, had trouble compiling a comprehensive catalog of the artist's work. <laughs> He's just doing. There are too many fakes to sort through. That's awesome. So, in 1947, uh, Dehori he goes to the Pearls Gallery in New York, and it's open. It was opened by these brothers, Klaus and Frank Pearls, mm-hmm. were these really well-known European art dealers. They opened it in 1937. And they displayed significant... Is that Pearls, P-E-R-L-E-S? P-E-R-L-S. Ah, okay. Yeah. So they had all these really significant works of contemporary art. They really brought out... Um, they kind of helped foster Alexander Calder's work. Hmm, okay. Uh, Georges Brock. Yeah, and- my dude! I was going <laughs> to ask about George Brock. <laughs> and Love Pablo Picasso. Brock. So yes, they had the all Cubist. these... So Dehori sold two quote-unquote Picassos mm-hmm. to Klaus Pearls. All right. And later on in 1952... He's in L.A., Dehori is, selling his forgeries to galleries there. He ends <laughs> up walking into the Frank Pearls Gallery. Okay. So one of the brothers who has a gallery in Beverly Hills. And one of the brothers meaning they're related. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so <laughs> they're, Frank— They're not people with afros. Right. I got you. So Frank Pearls, he's really interested in the, the pieces that Dehori has. But he starts noticing that there are similarities between the pieces that are supposed to be created by different artists. Hmm. Like he's just seeing these little threads. This is what— Clifford Irving said in his book, Fake, quote, The longer Pearls looked at the pictures, the more concerned he became. It was clear that something was wrong, and Pearls' worrisome expression discomforted Elmire. Pearls questioned Elmire about his address and other detailed personal information, causing Elmire's nervousness to grow. Pearls then calmly placed the pictures back into the portfolio, tied the strings, and then suddenly threw the mat at Elmire. Elmir was shocked by the unexpected action and was uncertain what to do next until Pearls ordered him to get out. To Pearls' surprise, Elmir asked, after being thrown out of the gallery, whether he thought the drawings were well done. <laughs> Pearls replied, they certainly fooled me for a few minutes before ordering the counterfeiter away again. Huh. It's somehow weirdly heartbreaking that he's like, were well, they at least good when he gets well, tossed out of the yeah, gallery? Yeah, you have more heart than I do in that I regard. <laughs> so, <laughs> to me, that just sounds like, bro, come on now. What, what are we doing here? <laughs> so, more and more galleries are becoming suspicious. Because it's bet. like there's little whispers, right? So in order to get around this, he comes up with a bunch of aliases and starts doing all of his deals through the mail. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> no, mail fraud, that's 20 years. Uh-huh. So what are some of his aliases? Elmer Hoffman. Elementor Hoffman, Baron Dehori, Hori, 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 Baron Raynal, Raynor, Raynal, Comte de, Garso- de Herzog, 
uh, Baron de Bougaday, Baron Von Vey, <laughs> Baron de Bougaday, <laughs> Elmir Laszlo, Doré, Dory, Booten, Dory Booten, Casu Robert, or Casu Charles, Louis Curiel, or Curiel Charles. He's <laughs> and just... George Santos. <laughs> He's just rolling the dice on these randoms. These are awesome. In the mid-50s, he gets busted for the first time. Not criminally, but in his world. Um, Oh, like a little busted? He doesn't get tossed out of a gallery, but he gets marked as a con man Ah, in the art world. I thought he got busted up. No, well, (laughs) he sold a Matisse, supposed Matisse drawing, to the Fogg Museum at Harvard. Uh And when the sale was finalized... He said, oh, you know what? I also, if you like those, I've got a Medigliani and a Renoir if you're interested. <laughs> and they're like, so the curator's like, all right, let me, he lays them out. He takes, she takes a closer look. And then just like Frank Pearls, Notices the- too much of a stylistic similarity between the Matisse that she, they just purchased and the Medigliani and the Renoir. So she refuses his offer. And not just that, then she gets on the phone. Yep. She starts reaching out to all the other museums. Hey, did you recently buy any art from like a smooth-talking European fella <laughs> going by the name of E. Renault? And then with those calls, the word gets out. When we come back, I'll tell you how Elmir dealt with this development. Nice. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. (laughs) 
Zarin, we're back. Hey, look at us. Good ads, right? Oh, my God. So the best. Um, By the way, I spent some of your money on this. Did you? Yeah, I'm going to put your purse back. In the, uh, it'll be fine. Hand me my pocketbook. How it'll much be fine. You take? It'll be fine. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, where, where where was I? Uh, Elmira. Before we were so rudely interrupted <laughs> by those phenomenal ads. Uh, Elmira had just gotten busted down by the... Right. So he's selling Elmira Dahori, selling paintings inspired by famous artists, mm-hmm. passing them off as designer originals, not designer imposters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So he gets called out by a curator at Harvard, and now everyone's wise to him. Uh-huh. So a Chicago art dealer named James Faulkner, he bought some paintings from Dahori in 1955, and then he found out they were fake. So he pressed charges for mail and telephone fraud. Because remember, Ooh, you boy. said federal lawsuit, right? Yep, it's big time. Um, don't do crime in the U.S. mail. Never. Stop your criming. Stop crime your mail crime. U.S. mail. <laughs> I'm not sure what became of that lawsuit, but Dahori decided to head down Mexico way. That's He's smart. like, out of here. He goes to Mexico City. He moves there. But he gets caught up with the cops there, too. <laughs> Only this time it was Elmir getting conned because the Mexican police said that they thought he was involved in a man's murder. And what? he's like, I have n- I've never met the guy you're talking about. I have no idea. That's this not guy, the crimes I do. Right. I'm a different kind of crimer. So then the police try and extort him <laughs> and his lawyer. Dahori pays his lawyer with one of his paintings. Then the federales come in. They extort, <laughs> they extort him. him. So he's like, whatever, I'm out of here. He leaves Mexico City, comes back to the United States. When he gets back, he sees that the galleries were selling his forgeries for way more than he sold them for. Hmm. Now, it just goes to show that the art dealers are willing to look the other way if they can make some money. If everyone kind of, there's like the open secret of these aren't real. Yeah, they don't want other people to know that they know that this is fake. So, you know. But he's also, so Dahori's seeing this, but he's also a person of interest with the FBI. Yeah, there's that. So he tries to lay low. He gets this like really meager apartment in L.A., tries to make a go of it as a legit artist. And in order to sell paintings, like, he had to paint what the people wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant, according to Clifford Irving's book, mostly paintings of pink poodles for interior decorators. <laughs> Not what I thought you were going to say. Well, like, what on. a wild time for interior decor, <laughs> oh, pink yeah. poodles. Was the pink poodle the live, laugh, love decal of its day? Of 1952? I yes, so. I think so. Yeah. So things got bad in L.A. It was a dark time for him, so he decided to move back to New York. Um, according to Clifford Irving, Dahori threw a party while living in New York. Lavish, super edgy. Stars like Marilyn Monroe showed wow. up. Yeah. So like this Arthur Miller era, Marilyn mm-hmm. Monroe? Yes. Wow, okay. So she's like, she's out there with this kind of like um, outre crowd. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it was there that he met his future long-term accomplice, Fernand Legros. Yes, I love that. Now, Legros, he, okay, I have to pull up a pickle. His name is Fern Legro, like grow the fern. Okay. So Fernand Legro, right? Yes. Uh, this is what he looks like. I'm oh showing you a picture. Oh my God, that's amazing. Right? He's like, he looks like a, the, he's like if Shooter Jennings and Rick Rubin had a kid. Yes. And the, and the kid smells like mildew. And they let River Phoenix raise him. Yes. It's amazing. So we'll put that picture up. So, Fernand Legro. Legro, he's a gay man who married an American woman in order to get U.S. citizenship. He was born in Egypt in 1931. Hmm. So, he's like, you know, 30 years younger than uh, Elmir. Uh, so, from that moment on, Dahori and Legro, they're inseparable after okay. they meet at this crazy party. Are they a party. couple inseparable? I don't know. I don't think they were okay. a couple. Um, Dahori seems like he was just like his older mentor. Okay, cool. Sort of. Um, he's, But anyway, so he's got like... Dahori's got Legro being all super groovy, totally. running around with him. Good, good cover. 
Dahori's like, you know what? Let's move back to Miami. <laughs> yes, let's I like take Miami. this show on the Your road. Your look screams Miami. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he convinces him to go down there with him and act as his quote-unquote agent, okay. his art agent. So LeGros was like, yeah, you know what? And um, I'll take a 40% cut. That's more than an agent, LeGros. A little bit. That's like three agents, LeGros. Right. So they move to Miami. They start traveling all over selling these forgeries. LeGros was the face of the deals, and Dahori just kept churning them out. Mm-hmm. So um, in Miami, LeGros met a French-Canadian teenager named Rial Lessard. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And LeGros and Lessard, they hook up and become lovers. Wow. Lassard also becomes an accomplice in this. Right. So now it's Legro and Lassard who are the faces. They're the ones selling the paintings. Okay, so they're um, swanning around the art world, ca- yeah. calling all the oh, attention. Yeah. Dahori creates these fake masterworks. Legro and Lassard, they're selling them all over the world for like the next 13 years. Damn. Right? They create fake stamps of authenticity. Uh, they acquired old art books and swapped out the pictures of actual works with art of art with the <laughs> copies of his forgeries. That's amazing. You know, um, when Le, one time Legro crosses the U.S. border and his luggage gets inspected, mm-hmm. and um, customs officers they they called in art experts to verify, you know, that what these were. He's telling customs they're just copies. They're that's you know, yeah, come on, they're, uh, they're prints. The experts look at them and they're like, no, these are authentic. So they fool the experts, and Legro has to pay a tax. So he did. <laughs> but he wanted that to happen because that got him actual U.S. Customs documentation that verifying real. the authenticity. Totally. He's got paperwork and stamps oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 1959, Dahori's tired of, like, this loud, violent late relationship between Legro and Lassard. Oh, it's Like, fiery. they're just, yeah, it's a okay. very fiery thing. He's not, he's, like, not there for it. thrown wine glasses. Very much so. Uh Dahori goes back to Europe. Okay. He's like, I'm out of here. Who does he run into in Paris? Legro. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like so Pablo Picasso? Dahori spills a secret to Legro. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I still have a collection of fake paintings stored in New York. And then Legro, but they're like in this locker you can't get into. So Legro figures out how to steal them and sell them and then convinces Dahori, like, get back in the game. Start painting. <laughs> we'll sell them. You can't help it. So in 1960, they get back into it. 1962, <laughs> Legros and Lassard, they convinced Dahori to move to Ibiza. Nice. Oh, you love Ibiza. Right. But see, Ibiza wasn't the party and vacation destination then that it is now. Yeah, At but the it was time, still a rich playground. No, not then. At that time, it was like a really poor rural island. Wait, what time are we talking? 62. Huh, I thought by then it's when it Well, popped. it was like a haven for artistic exiles. Okay, okay. So the cost of living was really, really low. Still cheap at that point. Yeah. 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 It was like this misfits art commune. Yeah. The yeah, landscape, totally unspoiled because they don't have all this, like, development. Mm-hmm. Living super cheap. Artists and thinkers who felt like they didn't have a place elsewhere in the world went there and created a family. I gotcha. Um, it was also attractive for criminals and con artists to hang out because Franco was still in power then. So it was like a hideaway out mm-hmm. of the reach of Interpol. Completely. So Franco was good for crime in that way. <laughs> right? So Legro and Legard, they rent uh, Dahori this gorgeous villa nice. in Ibiza. But they put him on a small allowance of about like $400 a month <laughs> to keep him working, creating more forged works of art. <laughs> That's cool. It was enough to let him live comfortably and like also be free of risk. Sure. Did they live there? No. no, no. They had this, like, absolutely lavish life in Paris. Like a chateau in Paris. Oh, yeah. They, they're they living off the money a that they're raking staff. in. Yeah. And so, Dahori, he never gained financial independence. No. But he enjoyed the company of this, like, incredible, colorful community, right? <laughs> 
Legros tells a different version of this. He said that Dahori tricked him into believing he was a destitute and desperate aristocrat needing mercy. And in fact, he was a con man who was wanted by Interpol. This long list of aliases, all these crimes. Um, according to Legros, Dahori was compromised by convictions and expulsions from France, Switzerland, Italy, federal Germany, Great Britain, Mexico, U.S., Canada. I don't believe you, Legros. No. So Dahori's like, no, actually, um, I made a mistake yeah. in taking Legros into my confidence. Totally. Because he took advantage of exactly. me. Exactly. Exploited right. you, brother. So 1964, Dahori, he's 58 years old, tired of the forgery business. Mm-hmm. His work's getting kind of sloppy, yeah, too. Yeah, his hand's getting a little, yeah. his line is weakening. And apparently he always looked old. <laughs> like people said, like there were quotes from people who were just like, he kind of just always looked like an old man. He was the Tom Segura of well, the art world. And <laughs> totally. Well, in galleries, they start alerting Interpol. Uh-huh. And Legros is like... Okay, this is back when Interpol did things. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's like getting a little hot. So Legros sends Dahori to Australia for a year to mm-hmm. hide out. And then he and Lassard, they go to Zurich. <laughs> just they're like, let's just be glamorous <laughs> like, about like, this. You need to go to Demings, New Mexico. <laughs> they, We're going to go to Stad. They always like send him in the opposite direction. <laughs> so by 1966, more and more of the paintings are proving to be fake. <laughs> There's an art collector who was duped by the trio of them, an oil tycoon named Alger Meadows of uh, the General American Oil Company. Huh, don't know that one. And uh, his wife is the one who convinced him to start an art collection. Like they were traveling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those, He's those, wearing a big cowboy hat in Paris. I was going to say, if you watch like mid-century movies, <laughs> that's like the mark in Europe is yes. always the Texan with oil money and yes. his wife going over there. Like, they're in every movie. So they start, they, they start getting French Impressionist and, like, post-Impressionist paintings. Mm-hmm. News breaks across the country within the art community about the discovery of all the fakes. And he's like... Am I a victim? <laughs> so Legros, like he's like, look, when Legros sold him, he's like, these have been authenticated by the French experts. Yeah, is it no problem. You see the stamps. Pas de problem. Um, the Art Dealers Association of America, America, <laughs> they put their hat on. They stepped in. They looked at 58 of the French paintings in Meadows' home in Dallas, mm-hmm. and they determined that 38 of them were fake. <laughs> And most Sorry, you of the, have no taste. And like most of the paintings have been purchased from Legros for about $2 million. What? Right. Don't forget, Dahori's living on 400 a month in Ibiza. Damn. And they're raking it I in. I told Legros, I knew you were trouble. Right? And it's that hair, that I, hat. I just so don't trust it. Meadows found out that um, pieces that were in SMU's Meadows Museum were also forgeries. <laughs> yes, they got SMU too. Remember Klaus Pearls? <gasps> Pearls visited the Meadows Museum and saw the masterworks on display and that they were actually Dahori's fakes. And he proclaimed aloud, forgeries, altogether forgeries, so he could tell. (laughs) Meadows, um, he gave the museum a million dollars to replace the fakes. And to never tell anyone about this. Yeah, he's like, shh, don't tell. I was was never here. Um, He then was like, you know what, guys? Posse up. We're going to go get this LeGros fellow. Yeah, Texas justice. They want, they're like, I'm demanding his arrest and prosecution. <laughs> so LeGros is like, Lee. So he, <laughs> he hides out in Ibiza at the villa, right? But then he says, you know what? I actually, I own this place. You got to get out of here. He tries to evict Dahori. Oh, man. What in the world is Elmir going to do? When we get back from this break, oh. I'll let you know which fellow con man came into his life. Yes. Thank you. 
The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, Saren. What up, Elizabeth? Are you ready to put some beef in this? Oh, my God. I got my hot beef injector right here. Well, we're talking Texas oil man, so here's the beef. <laughs> right. When we left off, Elmir Dahori, uh-huh. he was in the crosshairs of beefy Texas oil man, Algar Meadows. Ah, the business end. He'd been Meadows duped by Dahori's fakes. He wants justice. Legro, he's trying to boot Dahori from the lavish Ibiza ah, Villa, right? I don't like that guy. Dahori's living like this interesting life among the wealthy and eccentric in Ibiza. He's friends with international movie stars, aristocracy. Zarin. Elizabeth. Close your eyes. Oh, yeah. I want you to picture it. It's 1966. You're at a swinging party on the vast patio of a villa in Ibiza, that overlooks the blue waters of the Mediterranean. Groovy. The sun is out. People are lounging about in groovy swim costumes and caftans that they picked up in Algiers just across the water. There's a man making fish stew. Oh, yeah. It's a real party. I mean, there's fish stew. There's fish stew. So you're just there visiting a friend, a wealthy fail son layabout that you went to prep school with. Yeah, I'm double fisted well, looking for him. You're also a wealthy layabout fail son. <laughs> of course I am. Uh, you've decided to surf your way around the globe all on daddy's dime. Groovy. So your cool moondoggy surf buddies, <laughs> they don't know about your rich family, and yeah. they don't know that you've skipped off to Ibiza to see your old pal. Oh, nice. So there you guys are. You're on this giant patio sitting under an umbrella drinking red wine. Uh, you're staring at a bodacious blonde in a tiny bikini. She's surrounded by a bunch of men, but she looks terribly bored. You, like, squint, and you realize who she is. Ursula Andrus. Oh, damn. <laughs> right? So you elbow your friend, but he just, like, nods his head slyly toward these two other women. One you recognize right away. That's Marlena Dietrich. Oh, snap. She's an aging beauty at this point. Still Not performing. Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. No, Owie, ow, no ow. I mean, she's like a beauty, not aging. Well, she's aging. aging. No, I thought then, you were like, not beautiful to me. Oh, no, I meant like, woof, she's, woof. She's, she's not an aging beauty to me. To me, she's, 
So uh, Marlena <laughs> Daytrick. a can of Alpo at Marlena <laughs> Daytrick. What the? What are you doing here? So she's like still performing, right? But she's plagued by health issues and like the creeping thread of time. Yes. Aging, Zarin. Yeah. Just admit it. It's okay. It's we're okay. all aging. You know, we're all born to die, Zarin. Right. Um, so Most she's, of us. She's reclining on this lounge chair. She's wearing like a turban with a matching velvet caftan. Yeah, I love this You watch her. as she reaches in a pocket and pulls out a couple of pills and washes them down with champagne. Oh, my girl. Hey, I'm going to hand roll a smoke and watch her do it again. <laughs> the other woman looks familiar, but you can't quite place her. She's blonde and she's like tan and sporty. Bridget Bardot. Her laugh is almost musical. Hmm. And your friend says that her name is Nina Van Pallant. She's a Danish singer. Okay. All right. You say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then next to to Nina is a man. He's wearing like a loose linen top that's all unbuttoned. Um, He's reclining on a lounge chair. He's looking out at the sea. You watch as an old man approaches him. The old man's a small fellow with like a cheerful face but sad eyes. He's decked out in a cravat and a cashmere sweater. Clean. So all the fabrics are so luxurious on this patio. So you try and listen in, but there's too much chatter from the people around you. And like you ask your friend who those men are. You're tired of looking at Ursula Andrews. No. Who are those not men? Not pretending to be tired. So he's like, the guy laying down is Clifford Irving. He's a writer. Uh, uh, that old guy, he's a painter. Everyone loves him. Huh. So you just watched Elmer DeHory make his last gasp effort looking for help from someone who would later be a fellow con artist, Clifford Irving. Yeah! Here's what Clifford Irving had to say. Quote, At the time I wrote the book, Elmer was in trouble. A Texas oil tycoon, Alger Hertel Meadows, had bought more than 40 paintings from the two villains who were selling Elmer's works. Meadows donated them to SMU, but first he showed them at a gala party in Dallas. When you can view Elmer's paintings in a group, Matisse, Picasso, Medigliani, etc., there's something more obviously wrong with them than just seeing one or two. The discerning eye can see that the same hand guided the brush— Paintings disappeared from the walls of art galleries and museums and were hurried off to back rooms and cellars to weather out the storm. (laughs) Worse, the French police launched their own investigation into his work. Elmir was frightened. He came to me on Ibiza and said, I'm going to tell you who I am and what I've done and you'll be shocked. Well, I wasn't shocked. I was surprised (laughs) and amused. He proposed that I write some magazine articles and a book that would help him with his legal fees and give him a nest egg for the dangerous future. I called my publishers in New York, McGraw-Hill, and they snapped it up. So he's got McGraw-Hill doing his bidding back then. Is this guy a really good writer, Cliff Irving? Yeah, he's a great writer. Yeah, okay. So... August 1968, Dehori, he gets convicted by the Spanish court for crimes of homosexuality, not being able to show means of legitimately supporting himself, which, like, that's a crime. And So we've got two, like, that's a a crime, and consorting with known criminals, referring to Legro. Okay. So he gets sentenced to two months in an Ibiza prison. All right. Why was he not charged with forgery? Well, there was no proof he ever created any of the art in question on Spanish soil. I was just about to say, they didn't find the paintings Mm -hmm. or the studio. Well, and also, he denied ever signing the fakes with the artist's name, which is a key legal point, because it's not a crime to imitate an artist's style. Until you put the name on it, it's not a forgery. Right, so it's only signing the name that makes it a forgery. It wasn't possible to prove if the artist's signatures that appeared on the paintings were done by Dehori, who denied it, or Legros. Oh, that's an interesting wrinkle, actually, right. because you'd have a really hard time proving it without, like, either a confession or somebody it's, saying, I watched him do it, and exactly, that person's impeccable. Exactly. So, Dahori, he gets released from prison in October of 68 and expelled from Ibiza for a year. So, by the end of that year, he comes back, and he is a celebrity 
on the Why? island. They love him. He's already a beloved local character, totally. but the whole mess makes him an absolute star. I they're love like, this, this guy's phenomenal. This crowd's awesome. Oh, yeah. They're like, he got bust. This is great. He's even more interesting now. So this is like Big Sur in the 30s and 40s. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So this is what Irving had to say. Many of us artists expats were poor to varying degrees. And I remember I once asked Elmer to lend me $100, telling him I'd pay him back when a check from my publisher arrived. He'd heard that story so many times before from so many others. With great reluctance, he loaned the cash to me, and he was flabbergasted when I repaid the loan a few weeks later. Tears came to his eyes. That's because he was always being used. He was gay, and he liked young men, so he had to pay, one way or another, all the time for friendship and love. So here he's got this great community, but there are always people like taking a piece of him. And Clifford Irving, like they connect because he's just like they're he's seeing him as just person to person. Uh Um, And outsider to outsider, I think. Right. And so here, though, so we have like this troubled time. 1969, though, Mm -hmm. Dehori meets Mark Forgey, who is 21, 20 years old. He meets him on the beach in Ibiza and the two became very close. Uh, Dehori taught Forgy about art and graceful living. Okay. You know, just Because incre- Dehori had— I imagine like, it's great taste. Well, and, and he had just this incredible, vast knowledge of art history. Uh-huh. Just uh, And I imagine also everything with that, the finer things in life. Exactly. The, the, the so he just kind of like earlier. leads Forgy. In an interview with the New York Times, Forgy was quoted as saying, he was more of a father than my actual father. He was concerned with my future. Hmm. And so finally he's got someone who's like, Seeing what he gives and then giving back. He's Reciprocates not Reciprocates and appreciates. Yeah. That's so nice. Clifford Irving's book becomes an eventual success. And in 1974, it was adapted into an Orson Welles movie, F for Fake. No way! Yes way. Now, <laughs> you messing with me. F for Fake is a docudrama. Yes. So that means that Dahori and Irving actually appear in it. Oh, my God. The whole thing is like a film essay where Wells muses on the value of art. Yes. Um, I've, in, I've never seen it, but I've right. read a bunch of quotes right. from this. We need to have our Ridiculous Crime Film Club. Yes, we do. So in the movie, Dahori asks what makes his work inferior to the works by the artists he was supposedly inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, his stuff fooled experts worldwide. And they brought joy to the owners for a fraction of the cost of the real thing. Mm -hmm. But then that's presuming that, like, they enjoyed the art itself and not just the prestige of owning a name. Yeah, that's that's leaving out a big part of it. So Wells uh, said that since most of the art world is based on duplicity, illusion, and trickery, did Dahori and his accomplices actually do anything wrong? Well, wrong, and I mean, these are really <laughs> I'm with weird him. These questions. These are great, you know. I mean, I, I know what Arsene Wells is trying to say. I would say that if you're intentionally fooling somebody, you know that that is wrong. But at the same time, the question of how wrong is it? You're right. not really hurting them. Yeah. And we are all constantly being tricked into capitalist society and exploited and misled and so forth. So when you start to consider the full context of where right. this is occurring, this isn't like in a in a kindergarten classroom where one child lied to another child and said, this is uh, food, and the other kid ate it. And I'm like, that would be well, a bad forgery. And if you're, but I mean, if you're fraud. dropping millions of dollars on artwork, exactly. are you not already kind of dancing with the devil? Like, you well, know, like... Not just that, but you're, you're, it's questionable. Exactly. And you're trying to get over on them, too. Like, on both sides, yeah, you exactly. have people trying to get over on each other. Right. So that's why I don't feel too bad. They're trying to get a deal. They're trying to go, like, when they hear, like, oh, you've got this Picasso and you've fallen on hard times. They're exploiting this person who's fallen on hard right. times. So it right. so turns out that person also... Everyone's is, deluding each other. Yeah. Everyone's tricking each it's other. It's a scorpion striking a snake. Right. I don't exactly. care. So once again, but now as a celebrity, Dahori tries his hand at earning a living as a legitimate artist. Uh-huh. 
And he's now a recognized figure in the art world. But and does kind he have of, anything to say? Well, he's like this anti-hero in the anti-establishment sure, world. Sure, great time to be it, too. Yeah, he fooled everybody. They're loving this. But he wasn't able to make the money that he was on his own artwork as he was doing the forgeries. Um, and then to make matters worse, France is again trying to extradite him from Spain. <laughs> France. So he learns uh, this French. from Mark Forgy. And Dehori says, I'm going to overdose on sleeping pills. And he asks Forgy to respect his decision and not revive him. And so Forgy, he didn't want him to die, right? So um, he takes him to the hospital, but he he dies in Forgy's arms at the hospital. Um, they'd been friends for six years, right? So it's December 11th, 1976. He dies. Or does he? Wait, what? <laughs> so I'm over here, my heart's breaking. Even, it, well, even his death, does his he? death is shrouded in mystery. So here's what uh, Clifford Irving had to say. Uh-huh. The story I heard from reliable sources was that he had concocted a plan with his then-boyfriend to fake his death. Elmer would take an overdose of sleeping pills at five minutes to ten, and the boyfriend was supposed to come home at ten sharp to save Elmer's life in a timely manner. But he didn't come back until midnight, and then it was too late. I do know that Elmer was about to be extradited to France, and he was fearful that Fernand Legros would have him killed in prison. I knew Legros, a man with the scruples of a sewer rat, and he was certainly capable of murder. Elmer thought that if he nearly committed suicide, the Spanish authorities would take pity on him and cancel the extradition to the hmm. Bastille. It was a naive concept. The Spanish government wanted to get rid of Elmer. They were fascists. They don't care. Right. So Forgy's denying all of this, but there is that strong theory that it was basically an accidental overdose, that he wanted to just use it as kind of cry for help. Now you can't extradite me. Mm-hmm. Why did Dehori do, why did he do what he did? Why did he do overall, what he did? not just with at the end of his life, but like overall? I mean, it seems to me that he basically he gets a a rough or unfair start in life in terms of like, you know all of who he is and all of his identities and all of his his family's uh, existence becomes reasons for him to be challenged to continue existing. Mm-hmm. So then he. You know, it could become a great artist at that point because he has a lot to say, but instead he needs to survive. So he learns to become a great imitator rather than a great artist at that moment. From that point on, he never really able to find his own voice, but is, as you said, a great mimic. So mm-hmm. he becomes the most beautiful choir singer ever, but it's not, you, right. you, who do you want, who, who pays well, to hear a choir Everyone has their notions of why he did this. Yeah. And it's like anyone who hears the story is going to come up with theirs. And since we can't ask him and... If we could ask him, there's no telling if he would tell the truth, right? Here's what uh, Forgy said. That's who I'd believe. Elmir was always attempting mightily to champion the intrinsic merit of art as opposed to having a name tag on it. Huh. I don't buy that. That part I don't believe. This is what Clifford Irving said. It's a World War II refugee mentality, which is what you were saying. Mm -hmm. He never thought he'd be rich, but he needed money to survive and still keep some prideful identity as a painter. Yeah. Survival is the name of the game. He'd justify it by naming all the great artists in history who had copied and faked. He knew his art history. There were many. And they were young and poor. They had to eat. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I'm yeah, thinking that way. Yeah, exactly. But this is also, this is what something else that Irving said about him. Alas, our friendship ended. Many people thought my portrait of Elmir was sympathetic. I certainly meant it to be. But Elmir didn't like that I quoted some French dealer calling him, quote, a charming crook. He didn't appreciate that kind of raw truth. The tale, in cold black and white, did not flatter him sufficiently. He demanded I make changes. I refused. He stopped speaking to me. Personally, I loved Elmir as a friend, Hmm. although I didn't trust him. And I Hmm. portrayed him as a sophisticated, elegant, intelligent, sad, and exploited man. I understood his plight. 
He was one of my first gay friends, and he often talked about the problems of being an older gay man. That was foreign to me before then. Hmm. So they have this really interesting, but I can see where he's crafted this great illusion of who he is and to cut to the heart of it. He's a charming crook. Yeah. It's painful. And also, it, it... I mean, it seems like dignity is the thing that he's been hanging on to from the point of being in the concentration mm-hmm. camp on. He's, and that is an, a direct attack on his dignity. Everything yep. else is a, is an attack on identity and things that are more elusive and more, like, uh, debatable in terms of someone else can have an opinion. But his dignity is his, and that challenges his sense of who he is right. and his his dignity, which is the only thing that seems to That's the one thing, yeah. yeah because if you craft an illusion and someone comes after the illusion, you just it wipe hurt. it away into exactly. another. It doesn't matter. So Mark Forgey, he continues to honor and preserve the memory of his friend and companion as caretaker of Dahori's legacy. He created an exhibit of Dahori's work at the Hillstrom Museum of Art in St. Peter, Minnesota. Hmm. Uh, he wrote a memoir, Forgey did, called The Forger's Apprentice, Life with the World's Most Notorious Artist. And that was adapted into a play and then a musical. Really? Which is amazing. A musical, I love that. And then art exhibits exist today specifically showcasing forgeries. and. Forgy lends Dahori pieces to those. Um, Here's an incredible end cap for this story. Mm -hmm. Forgy at one point learned that there was a business of forging forgeries. Wait, what? Paintings by Dahori listed at a New Zealand auction house (laughs) had to be taken down after it was discovered that the pieces were forgeries of Dahori's forgeries. (laughs) The forgery I'm of the forgery. Sorry. That's just so ridiculous. <laughs> well, and it doesn't help too that his partner's name is Forgy, and I'm like stumbling over this. So Forgy <laughs> said the, the whole situation is very Forgy. Forgy said the topic, quote, came up only one time in what do conversation. You tell yourself when you're a forger's forger. Know. You're sitting there in your studio doing an impression well, of said, an impression. He said, quote, we both contemplated that for a moment and then laughed at the far-fetched notion. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, so auctioneer Andrew Griggs said, quote, we were astonished to find that there was a market in faking fakers' artwork, <laughs> going on to say that he'll be sure to alert others in the industry of the con. The paintings that were thought to be Dahori's works were actually painted by Ken Talbot, a London bookmaker. <laughs> this is what Clifford had to say about Ken Talbot. Quote, Ken Talbot was a London crook and a bookmaker who, in 1991, reproduced and published my 1968 biography, Fake, calling it (laughs) Enigma. His hardback edition includes a, quote, preface by Clifford Irving, not a word of which I wrote. Like, they're all getting a piece of theirs come back to them. Bitter medicine. An introduction by Talbot himself that is mostly half-truths and lies. And a center color section of supposed Dahori paintings that Talbot busily tried to sell as genuine Dahori fakes of Matisse, Picasso, Medigliani et al. I have no idea who painted them. Talbot was a dangerous man. And if he were still alive, I wouldn't dare write these comments. I gave this... I give this $80 book a second star only because it included my text. That of the original fake is is worth reading. Fake <laughs> is for sale at $5.99 on Kindle and Nook. It's worth two stars because my Because my stuff's in it. By the way, buy mine for $5.99 on Kindle and yeah, Nook. I love, I love the forgeries of a forgery. I mean, this is like when I do a, an impression of you doing an impression <laughs> of your brother doing an impression of Steve Harvey. This okay, is, Playa. Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> okay, Playa. <laughs> It is. It's like, it's just like, (laughs) it's like. And it's just as wrong. (laughs) So here's a good take on it. This is what reporter David Holzer of the Budapest Business Journal had to say. Okay. 
Hungarians delight in listing the admittedly startling number of their countrymen and women who've soared to heights of excellence in the world outside the country. Quite rightly, Dehori exemplifies another kind of Hungarian genius, one that mixes skill, cunning, and the survival instinct to make life tap dance to the tune only you hear. <laughs> this quality is best summed up in an expression taught to me by none other than Robin Marshall, editor of this newspaper. A Hungarian is the only person who can go into a revolving door behind you and come out ahead of you, he once told me. <laughs> Attila would be so proud. <laughs> Though he takes no credit for having come up with the idea, for most of his life, Elmir Dahori came out of that revolving door well ahead of those who thought they had got one up on him. Until, well, he didn't. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Hungarian expression. I, it's believed that Dahori still has hundreds or thousands of forgeries all over the I world. I bet he does. The grand total of his sales is approximated at like $50 million. Damn. So And LeCroix got all of that. What's your ridiculous takeaway? Uh, on the real, my ridiculous takeaway is I hate LeCroix. Right? Yeah, I mean, horrible. You saw my instinct on him the entire time. Uh -huh. But uh, on, on the real, I think it's a darn shame that that, uh, you know, like iconoclastic, bon vivant types can't just hang out with the rich who want to have this interesting stuff and just do it. Like, why do the rich have to get mad? Like, come on, you exploited people and you guys always get so what? mad when these people turn out to be charlatans. You want the charlatans <laughs> just to be, come well, and on. Well, doesn't it make an even greater story that now you've got a Dahori? Look, I got duped and I've yeah, got this. Like, totally. I don't know. I feel like there's some notoriety. That I comes do with like it. having a, like, wanting to have the best forger's forgery, like having a Dahori. I think that is really awesome. I I'd love to have a door. Let's see if I can get you one. <laughs> Thank you. And if I can, I'll get someone to paint one. <laughs> so that you can paint a Dahori. You can paint a what was the other guy's name? Ken Talbot. Talbot. You yeah, Talbot do a Dahori. Talbot of Dahori yeah. of Medigliani. Excellent. Uh, and that's actually a picture of uh, Steve Harvey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my tale of Elmir Dahori. Uh, that's awesome. That's it. That's it. Um, What's your ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? Oh, I think I've exposed all of that. No. Okay. Well, no, you're my for ridiculous asking. takeaway. <laughs> thank you. Is that I do want? I want an Elmir Dahori. <laughs> I like That's what that. I want. Uh, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter for the talk and Instagram for the gawk, and email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail .com if you'd like. Download the iHeart app if you want to leave us something called a talkback. It's like a thirty-second voicemail that we can't respond to. But, you know, we may play it on here as an act of revenge. Or I'll forge one. I'll mimic it. <laughs> Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Mayor of Ibiza, Dave Kustin. Research is by exhausted authenticators Marissa Brown and Andrea Song Charpentier. The theme song is by Thomas Fodigliani, Lee, and Travis Picasso Fake Dutton. Executive producers are co-directors of the FBI Art Crime Unit, Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.